Please take a seat. And uh, if you've brought a Bible with you or you want to pick up the Bible in the chair in front of you, please be turning to Genesis um, chapter 37. And that's on page 41 of the Church Bibles. So Genesis chapter 37 and starting from verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to, them, so he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, 
the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Thanks, Hilda, for reading that. Let me add my welcome uh, to Michael. It's, uh, it's great to have you here with us this morning. If you're here gathered in the building, uh, lovely to have you. I'm reminded of the, the Psalms today that say how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's a, it's a joyful thing, gathering again like this. I know some of you might have found it hard to come and singing God's praises uh, together. And for those who are still watching from home, maybe unable to come yet, we miss you. We're glad for the technology. That means you can still join in with us um, and be part of the service um, this morning. Uh, do keep uh, that reading from Genesis 37 uh, open in front of you as we come to look at this. And I'll pray. Um, I'll lead us in a prayer as we come to do that now. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the way you call us to yourself. Uh, Your word is the thing that draws us to the Lord Jesus so that we might trust him. And we pray you'd help us to do that, uh, even this morning, so that trusting him, we might be filled with your spirit and live in a way that glorifies you and is good for us and our neighbors as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, there's, I, I guess, a, uh, perhaps a, a recent hit on the BBC, maybe for a certain age demographic, has been a show called The Repair Shop. Don't know if you've seen it, but each week, each week people bring much-loved but uh, broken items, uh, and an expert 
fixes them. Uh, I can't show you the trailer this morning uh, at this service, but if you, if you ever watch it or watch the show, there's wonderful reactions. As people see something that's been broken, it's fixed. I love one woman who, when it's uncovered, this thing she's brought for them to fix, she says, it's amazing, you're a magician. And on the trailer, it's playing uh, the, the Coldplay song that seems perfect. It's got these lines on it. When you've lost something you can't replace. When you've loved someone and it's gone to waste, could it be worse? And then the chorus kicks in. Lights will guide you home and ignite your bones, and I will try to fix you. We love stuff like that, don't we? And, and you know why? When, when a precious thing is broken, it's devastating, from, maybe from even when you're little. And maybe it's just your Lego and it's broken. It's devastating, a precious thing. And when you're much older... Um, I've, got, I've got a favorite mug that I had from uni days, and it's so precious, I don't even use it now. It's hidden away in the back of a cupboard. I tried to find it. So I can't even find it anymore. That's how precious it is. There's, there's things, you just know, it'd be devastating if that was broken. And we know why we love shows like that, because the thought of finding someone, the thought of there being a repair shop with a magician who could fix things, well, that'd be delightful. And you go even bigger than that, just the things you, you, you've got at home. I imagine all of you from Pathfinders age up, we've been, we've been caught up with the news recently. You, you'll be aware of things going on in Afghanistan, some of the terrible things and wondering about that. And you sometimes think, look, I wish there was a repair shop. I, I wish there really was a magician who could fix even things like that someday. Or it might be, it is closer to home. Maybe you are thinking about yourself. It's been quite a year, past 18 months, and we're not at the stage, even though many of us are gathering again, we're not at the stage really where we're just saying, phew, we can all gather again. It's all, it's all all right. There's been a big impact. Some of us, even before the lockdown, we were already anxious people. And the past 18 months, it's moved that. You felt it go to the next level really stressed you out. There's some this past year who've lost loved ones. And during the pandemic, it might be, it might even be for, for some of us here, you weren't able to visit them during those final weeks. Perhaps not even able to be at the funeral. That kind of thing is devastating. It, it multiplies grief. And it leaves marks for some of us, it might be just the, the kind of pressures you felt this year. You, you found yourself getting cross at times, angrier. And even coming out of it, you, you found it's kind of shifted you in that kind of way. You've just become a slightly angrier person. You've noticed it. Maybe those around you, you seem to get cross quicker. You wonder about what it's done to you. Some of you, maybe Pathfinders age you and grafties you, You've started school again. Maybe you started on Friday or you're starting again tomorrow. I dropped one of my boys uh, at school on Friday, and I spotted some year 11 girls arriving at school for the first day, maybe not seeing each other in ages, and the hands went up in greeting. And then one of them said to the other, Oh, I like your hair. Such a throwaway line. Just, just a silly little line. I, I've done my hair recently as well. Cut it. <laughs> Actually, I made a commitment to myself. This is one of my things. I'm going to try and not let my hair get fluffy uh, again and just look after it. 
I'm not setting big expectations for myself, just to look after my hair. But th- these, these two girls that greeted each other, it really warmed my heart. It was just a throwaway line. Oh, I like your hair. They smiled and walked in. But I, I thought, over the past 18 months, we've missed a thousand. A thousand throwaway lines like that. That make us smile. That make us feel welcome and loved. That make us feel at times more human to have somebody talk to you in that kind of way. And we've missed those. Yes, you might even be thinking at this stage about yourself, I wish, I wish there was a repair shop that did have a kind of magician that could fix the things I still feel upset about and I'm worried about myself. And at that point, I think, my friends, that the Bible leans into us and says, there is, there really is someone like that. And his name is Jesus Christ. The book we're going to be looking at over these weeks, this book of Genesis, right from the beginning, it, it begins to describe why the world that we live in is broken in all sorts of different ways from the day people began to turn their backs on God. It's what the Bible calls sin. But almost from that point on, God makes a promise. And in Genesis 12, he makes a promise to a man called Abraham. It's it's up there on the screen. But he he says to him, you can scan your eyes over it, he says to him that he would give him a land, a new home, if you like. And one day that through his family all peoples on earth would be blessed again. God says he's got a plan that he's going to work towards. And for a whole host of reasons, you can imagine even people today thinking, really, as you look at the world, you're saying God has a plan? Doesn't look like it. Like if you want to know about it, this story of Joseph that we're going to look at, it's not a bad place to, to start for some of the answers about it. And notice what we're given here as we read it. Notice what we're given here. Not, not some kind of fancy spiritual theory but a story about a bunch of brothers and a busted family. And you understand the kind of implication there of what's going on. It's it's almost as if it's saying to God, okay, God, if you've got a plan to fix the world, well, let's see if you can come up with a plan to fix this family, first of all. Can you fix these people? If you are scribbling down notes, there's, there's going to be two things we'll think about this morning. Why God says that we do get in such a mess. And why God says to us, he's the one, he's the one to trust. So here's the first thing. Look, sin's the thing that always destroys. I'm reading the Harry Potter books with my youngest, and we're loving them. Nifflers, Blast-Ended Scrooge, Diagon Alley, uh, Hogwarts, all those things. We're not really sure about Cho Chang yet, if you're, you're reading those books, but that's another story from my youngest son. If you've read the books, you will know as the story goes on that the ministry of magic, they're always trying to persuade people everything's okay. Everything's all right. And for a while on the surface, things do seem to be okay, but but for Dumbledore, for Harry, for those of us who are reading it, we know just below the surface there is a, a lurking evil that is growing, and it's not going to be long before it breaks out and spoils everything. Jacob's family, they we just read about, on the surface, they look pretty good. And Jacob has 12 sons plus daughters, more than that. Oh, they're, they're prosperous shepherds. And, and also, these guys, they are the family of Genesis. Uh, 
Jacob is Abraham's grandson, the one to which God made all those promises. But even we can see reading this, look, just below the surface, that sin problem is there, ready to break out and ruin everything. And it's, it's everywhere. It's in everyone in the story. And just have a look at them. Jacob. His story, if you want to go back and read it, it kind of begins in, in chapter 25. He was a twin. He and his twin brother Esau. Esau was his dad's favorite. Jacob was his mom's favorite. And that favoritism was kind of ruinous in, in their family. Esau ended up wanting to kill his brother. Sound familiar as you come to this story we've just read? Uh, it seems Jacob, though, hasn't learned any lessons from that because Jacob, we're told, as you read on the story, he had two wives, I know. Uh, Rachel was his favorite. Leah was unloved. And now in verse 3, Joseph, Rachel's eldest son, has become Jacob's favorite. Obviously so. It gives him a, a, an ornamental, it gives him an ornate road. Uh, you begin to see Joseph's where Jacob gives his love, where he spends his money. His life's bound up with Joseph in a really unhelpful way. This favoritism's wrong. It's causing a mess. Maybe you've got some experience of that and been on the wrong side of that kind of favoritism. Well, that's Jacob. You look on with Joseph as well, and you see the kind of teenager he's becoming. Verse 2, we're told he's, he's out looking after the flocks with just four of his brothers, and he brings his father a bad report about them. The sense of that word, the, the bad report, is more likely a kind of false report to get them in trouble. You see what we're being told? He's dishonest. He's sneaky. Then there's those dreams that come. We'll, we'll find out as the story goes on. They, they really are from God, these dreams. But look how Joseph handles them straight up to his brothers, verses 6 and 7. Listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the fields when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. He's loving it. He's loving telling it to them. You get the sense he's dishonest and a show-off. Here's a teenager, spoiled by dad, who is becoming a menace. And then there's the brothers. We're told three times in this opening little section, verses 4, 5, and 8, that they, they hated Joseph. Uh, the, the sense of that word, I'm hate, one writer puts it like this. Let, let me give this out for it. The, the sense of that word hate there, it, it has the sense of a, if you picture it this way, of a bowstring that is pulled kind of tight. An interesting image to have in mind. You imagine that with hatred. It, as it begins to grow, it's gradually just pulled back. That, that's the sense of this word, hatred. So it's not a surprise when they fire. Nobody was there, don't worry. <laughs> you get that sense, don't you, of hatred. Maybe you've, you've felt that yourself. It's so tight, ready just to erupt. That, that's what's going on uh, for these, um, these brothers. It's no surprise when they fire. They, they pull back from murder but he's dumped in a pit. And while they eat their lunch, verse 25, they decide to sell him as a slave. you imagine that, just over a sandwich? I mean, Joseph might not be great, 
But these brothers, oh, they are bitter and brutal. Sin's the thing that always destroys. Why have we got this story? What's it here for? Is it just to say, wow, look at these guys. Make sure you're not like them. Try a bit harder. It's not often the way God speaks to us. I, I think it's more something like this. It is saying, look, look carefully. Look carefully at this story because they may be thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away, but you're a bit like them. You ever show favoritism? Have you ever just distorted the truth a little bit in a way that's got someone else in trouble? You ever been a bit bitter? Let a bitter grudge develop against someone? Has there ever been that hatred that's ready just to launch something at someone? You might not go as, as far as them, but it's all there. And God wants to persuade you and me, look, sin is the thing that always destroys. And you can't fix it. But he's going to say he has a plan. There is a kind of repair shop. But just while you've got that in your mind, just have a moment. Let's have a moment to pause. And why not, just if somebody's sitting nearby, what, what do you think about this family at this stage? What do you think of them? What do you think their chances would be of ever having a, a happy holiday together, these guys? Just have a moment and just process that. If there's somebody nearby, what do you make of this family? What do you think of them? They're going to go on holiday together, have a good time. I'll give you a minute just to do that. Okay, let me, let me draw you back. Uh, here's the thing as we read this story. God's saying, look, sin is the thing that always destroys. But he says he's got a plan. And I think a, a writer wants to encourage us. He's saying to us, look, you can trust him because look, God is always working towards a kind of saving joy for his people. In the world of Harry Potter, you read the books, the danger is really bad. And all the way through the stories, it, it, never looks, it never looks as if Harry's able to win. And, and yet all, this, all through the stories, you, you keep coming up with these there's little hints. And there's little coincidences that begin to happen that just make you think, maybe. And they give hope. And that's a made-up story. Look, in this real story, here's a family that's been torn apart. And it's pretty bleak when you look at it. And before the end, they're going to face death through famine as well. And yet we'll see, God has a plan. And the plan involves taking Joseph to Egypt and putting him in charge of a, a world-saving food program. 
And along the way, as he's heading towards that, he'll also begin to repair these people, these dishonest, arrogant, bitter, brutal people will be changed. I mean, you hear that and you think, look, if he could do that, he would almost be a magician, wouldn't he? And if he could do something like that for them, then maybe, just maybe, he could do something like that for me and in me. Uh, Look, let me just show you some of the the hints and the hope that are through this this reading we've got. Uh, Verse 1, it's probably worth a nod. If you've got a Bible there, just have a look at verse 1. All all it says is this, that Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed. Now, for us, that's geography. But for Jacob, that's promise. This was the land that God had promised to Abraham. And it's just a hint. Look, don't ever forget God's promises. He's made a promise. He'll come good on it. And then there's those dreams, verses 6, 7, and 9. As you read them, they're not difficult to understand, are they? God seems to be saying that his saving plans will involve in some way, at some point, them bowing down to Joseph. And it happens in chapter 42. We'll get to that in a few weeks' time. They're not difficult to understand. The thing that's difficult about them is believing them. In those days, the youngest always bowed to the oldest. Younger siblings to older siblings. Children to parents. We should have a bit more of that, shouldn't we? Younger siblings, I don't know how you feel about that. You you enjoy doing that? Younger siblings bowing to your older siblings? It was was just unthinkable. That's the way it it worked. Bowing to Joseph. No self-respecting older brother could ever be expected to do that. And you get the point. God's saving plan, when, when you begin to feel it and notice it visibly, it'll be unexpected. And it will humble them. It's often the way God works. The stuff he does, unexpected by the world, at times unexpected by his people, and it, it works in a way that ends up humbling you, but he does it that way, so when you get to the end, everyone will know it's God. It didn't just happen by chance or coincidence. And it will do it in such a way that it will leave you no chance to show off yourself. You'll just be thankful and, and want to trust him. And God gives notice at the start, so, so that when we get there, when we get there, we'll know it's him. God will save this family through Joseph. Now, here's the thing. God's people do what they always do whenever he sends them a rescuer, and that's that they reject him. That's what they do with Joseph. They throw him in a pit. But here's the thing. Even as they reject him, that's what God uses to move his plan forward. Isn't that incredible? Even as these people do a wicked thing, He's still able to take that and use it to move his plan forward. And it, it looks at this stage like it's a, just a series of coincidences. God's plan requires getting Joseph in place in Egypt. That's what it requires. Verse 12, a Bible there in front of you. The brothers are at Shechem. Jo- Joseph goes to look for them. They've moved to Dothan. Someone just happens to overhear their plans in verse 17. Joseph just happens to bump into that man. 
The brothers plan to kill him, verse 20. Reuben manages to dissuade them. Judah just happens to come up with an idea. Sells him to slave traders who just happen to be going to Egypt. Gosh, when you get to the end of the story and you look back, you think, wow, what coincidence. Gosh, if any of those things hadn't happened. Wow, what, what a coincidence. I mean, suppose the man didn't overhear them or everyone would have been lost to the famine. Supposing Joseph doesn't meet him, everyone's lost. Suppose the slave traders hadn't been passing. You get the point. There's an unseen hand at work in, in every detail, working even through the wicked plans of the brothers. God might seem silent at times, but he's not inactive. You just think for a moment about Joseph thrown into that cistern, into that pit on that day. Later in a few weeks, we'll come to this. In, in chapter 42, the brothers remembering that day uh, will we'll say it like this. We're not told anything much about it in this chapter, but in chapter 42, remembering that day, the brothers will say, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. You imagine that? Imagine Joseph, robe taken off, thrown down into a pit, battered, bruised down there, and crying out to his brothers, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And they just see eating their lunch. You imagine Joseph crying out to God after he's cried out to his brothers for a while. God, please don't let this happen. And no answer comes. He's left with the silence. Now maybe you think about yourself at times. Might be times you've prayed and felt God was doing nothing. Friends, do you need to hear what the Bible is saying again? There isn't a God like that. The real God is always active in every detail of life. So what do we make of this? I think this is a, is a hard thing to get your head around but it is also a comforting thing. And we might want to put it like this. I think we have to say, look, God's wise rescuing love is completely compatible with terrible things happening to you. God's wise rescuing love is completely compatible with terrible things happening to you. If God rescued Joseph at this point, then in the end, disaster for everyone. That's not to excuse what the, the brothers did. What they did was wrong. It was wicked. But it is to say that God in his loving wisdom often has saving plans we can't imagine. The God you come to trust and follow in everything that happens to you, the good and the bad, he is always working towards that saving joy he has promised. Now here's the thing. 
I think if you read this story again, and let me encourage you to do that, if you look long enough, you'll, you'll probably start to say, look, this reminds me of something. Joseph. He always wore the coat of his father's love until the day it was stripped from him and his brothers threw him into a pit. And the word through that's used there is it's kind of used at times for, for dumping a body in the grave. Joseph was considered dead, but God will raise him up to be in charge of the whole of Egypt so that in the famine he can save everyone who comes to him from all over the world. Now, who does that sound like? To another son, loved by his father. He came to his brothers, those who should have known him and welcomed him, yet they stripped him and they nailed him to a cross. God turned Joseph, in a sense, against his will into a rescuer. But Jesus Christ, God's own son, he gave himself willingly to be your rescuer. When he cried out from the cross, no one answered. He was totally abandoned. But the reason God didn't answer then was so that when he raised Jesus up, he could save you as well. God's wise rescuing love is completely compatible with terrible things happening to Jesus. Over the next few weeks, as we look at these Old Testament stories, I'd love to just to be able to give you a little New Testament nugget that if you want to scribble down and just dwell on during the week, or maybe encourage you. Here's one for this week. Here's how Paul writes about Jesus and about what God's done. He puts it like this, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? With Joseph, God's plans pulled him back from near death. With, with Jesus, he's shown, even if we die, he's able to bring us out through the other side. This autumn, as a church family, if you're new to us, you might not have picked up on this yet, but as a church family, we, we're talking in terms of reset, an opportunity after all this goes on, just to, to reset ourselves spiritually as a church family. Maybe reset ourselves as individuals as well. And I expect getting clear on some of this will help. You've been through, maybe still going through, or about to go through hard times. The God of Joseph, the God of Jesus, will be at work in every detail, the good and the bad, and always working to bring you to his promised saving joy. And if that's true, it makes sense for Christian people to always have hope and always trust him.